Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Well, this has been our theme uh, for this season of Christmas, and if you can think through just the different aspects of the Christmas story that are recorded in Matthew and Luke, so much of it has to do with waiting. Waiting, as, as Aaron was referencing Simeon and um, this promise that was made to him, we see the, the magi from the east that were waiting and watching the stars as they came, and we see this uh, Joseph and Mary waiting for the birth of their child. And so this has been the, the theme that we've kind of been um, filtering the, the, the Christmas story through in these recent weeks. Uh, let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you were waiting for something, but you didn't actually know what it was? Like there's just this sense within you that like there's something you need, something you desire, and, and you don't even, you can't even put words to what it is, but it, maybe it feels like longing, something to be different about your life, or about completion, like something's missing that I need. I remember when I was um, 15 years old, my dad said, it's time to get a job. And he said, uh, I've got a connection. My dad worked in advertising, and he did a lot of stuff with the newspapers, and particularly with car sales. And so he got me one of my first jobs at a used car lot in the downtown of our city. And I remember showing up, and they said, okay, here's what we're going to have you do. We're going to have you wash cars, wash all the cars in the lot, and when you're done, I want you to start over wash them all again. (laughs) He said, it's like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. Once you finish, you start over again. You're never done. But the the first few days I was there, there was another guy transitioning out of that job. And they said, until he transitions out, he'll show you what to do, but pretty simple. Um, We're going to find something else for you to do. And what they had me do, 15 years old, is he gave me a screwdriver. And he took me out around the property where this car lot was, and he said, see all the weeds and grass that's growing up in the sidewalk? Use this screwdriver and clean it up. Such a glamorous job. And I remember as I was doing my, you know, my first kind of legitimate official job, and I'm scraping the sidewalk, and people are walking by, and I felt kind of humble and like, is this really what I want to do? I'm already wanting to quit in day one, probably hour one. There was this thing bubbling up inside of me. I started to dream a little bit. I started to think, what if if I do this job so well that some really rich and wealthy person drives by and says, that's the kind of guy I want to mentor, and he offers me like a position in his company. And I began to dream about what if somebody discovered something about, what if there is something deep within me that this just needs to be put in a new situation, a different place. Have you ever felt that before? Like, people don't know my full potential, right? (laughs) Years later, I look back on that. First of all, you learn things in jobs like that that you need to learn, don't you? But years later, I look back on that, and I I realize what 15-year-old me was really feeling was that I wanted a sense of purpose. I wanted to be seen. I didn't want to just be some random kid with a screwdriver pulling out weeds. I wanted wanted to be known and to be seen and to be valued. I wanted to have a a purpose greater than pulling weeds from the sidewalk. And so oftentimes, we we feel this. We're we're waiting for something to change, but maybe we don't even know what it is. So in the meantime, what do we do? 
Some of us give in to apathy. We just go with the flow. We just do what we do. And we hope that maybe someday somebody will see us. Or we hope that someday we'll recognize what we need to see, that thing that we're waiting for, and that will propel us forward into purpose. There was a song by an artist named John Mayer, John Mayer um, some years ago, and the first verse of it says this, me and all my friends were all misunderstood. They say we stand for nothing and there's no way we ever could. Now we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. And then the chorus goes, so we keep waiting, waiting for the world to change. And this easily could have been written 2,000 years ago, before the very first Christmas. The people of Israel were, were waiting for their deliverer to come, and they were waiting for something in their culture to change, for oppression to cease, for justice to be enacted. And so today, as we sit here 2,000 years later, we feel that same sense of waiting. And so I want to ask you this morning to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to go back to that time where a people were waiting. There was a people that were waiting, the people of Israel, but there was also some specific people that were waiting. Joseph and Mary had been had this encounter with God, and he said, you're going to bear a son who is going to save my people, Israel. Luke chapter 2 picks up this story in verse 1. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is a big place. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, wait a second. <laughs> Can you imagine? Mary had been given this vision, this word from God, and Joseph the same, that they were going to bear the Son of God, that he was going to be the Savior of the world. This couldn't possibly be the way that the story was supposed to go. When Joseph and Mary were told this announcement to them, they could not imagine that the way it was going to work out is that baby Jesus was going to be born in a feeding stall. He was going to be placed in a manger. I can imagine when they got this announcement from God, they thought, no, wait, this means now for us privilege. This means everything's about to change. Surely God will bless us. He'll give us what we need. And then they find themselves in the middle of a census having to walk the equivalent of about 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem while nine months pregnant. No room to stay. Having a baby placing it in a manger. Talk about a humbling experience. Here in an out-of-the-way town, a young couple having to travel because of political decrees. And immediately on the surface of the story, it actually seems that it's political power plays that will determine where Jesus will be born. 
Caesar gives this royal edict for taxation purposes. I need to know how many people we have so I know how much money we're going to bring in. And it pushes everyone to their hometown. So even though it's probably not ideal to travel when you're nine months pregnant, Mary and Joseph set on the trip home. Caesar is doing something for sure, but God is also doing something. The first Christmas calls us to look deeper, to not judge things based on outward appearances. Yes, Jesus is born in Bethlehem because of this census, but could it be that Caesar's decree was actually part of an ancient plan? God is fulfilling his promises that out of this lowly city, Bethlehem, the king of kings will come. Micah 5.2 says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And verse 4 says, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. These prophetic words spoken about Bethlehem, about this little town where Joseph and Mary traveled to, were written hundreds of years before that first Christmas night. Out of Bethlehem, the king will come, the one who is from ancient days, and he shall shepherd his flock, and he will be great to the ends of the earth. All of these prophecies, all of this waiting, it is now happening. Now, you all know Bethlehem is a real place, right? It's five miles from Jerusalem. It's 96 miles from Nazareth. Today, Bethlehem has about 28,000 people. Back then, it was probably maybe 1,000. In Bethlehem today, there are actually still shepherds. I want to give you a little glimpse into Bethlehem because uh, for those of us that haven't been able to travel to Israel, it can be powerful to see what we often read about to become familiar with what we're sometimes too familiar with. And so there was a church that actually went to Bethlehem uh, a number of years ago, and they interviewed some people uh, from the now the modern-day city of Bethlehem. So we're going to show you just a, a brief video of Bethlehem today. Let's watch it. I like this song very much. The net here, not good. Is that YouTube? Yeah, this is YouTube. This is YouTube. Yes. I graduate from Bethlehem University. I have BA at accounting. I like the sheep. Uh, but uh, I need a uh, job. Yes. The story of Jesus. Yeah. Born uh, at Bethlehem. From this road, you can go uh, to Bethlehem from this road. This is Bethlehem. It's a small city, not big city. Near uh, 
Bethlehem, we have big wall. Mary and Joseph, if he coming today? No, because the big wall is close to Bethlehem. He want permit from Israel. I come here every day at 1 o'clock a.m. to sell coffee and tea for the worker who cross to Jerusalem. In the back of me, there is the wall. It's 12 meters in the sky with 700 kilometers around Jerusalem. It's very hard to come into Bethlehem because people think the Palestinian people are terrorists. Bethlehem is the city that Jesus was born in it. He came to, to tell the people about the meaning of the peace, the meaning of the love the meaning of the life together. The angel came to, to Maryam yeah. and told them that he is pregnant. Yeah. Maryam do not like this because uh, uh, I do not have married from where the baby, their uh, family and they killed him. The honor, the killing. Honor, killing. Honor, killing. In our land, she must marry. It's shame for us. If it's not be killed, they will be thrown from her home. When she's pregnant and alone, it's her first time to have a baby. It's, I imagine God, God help her. She accepted his will, and she was ready to fight any obstacles. Yeah, she was a strong woman. Gold is a king. And whatever circumstances we live, we have his identity and we give him our loyalty too. This is a water container. People would hide gold in these jars. Incense burner and frankincense means the priesthood. Jesus would carry our prayers and will carry us up to the Father. Without him, we cannot reach the Father. This is what Mir been carried in. And Mir is a sign for the sufferings that he would carry. They expected to see a prince in a castle. They did not expect a baby born in poverty. It's uh, not rich. It's, uh, it's very poor. I know all this. God loves the poor people, rich people, all people. He's a refugee. Jesus is a refugee. They wanted to kill him. There was order to kill all the children of Bethlehem, newborns to uh, two years old. That's why she flew to Egypt. Jesus uh, born refugee because God he wanted to teach us how if Jesus born refugee what about us and he teach us about to give forgiveness and uh, love. They come from God to give him the message for peace. This is the important thing that the God. It's told to Isa to to, to 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 the people. Yes. The Prince of Peace being born in the most troubled land on earth, it has like a significance maybe. We need peace inside ourselves and we need peace all over the world. We can feel the peace in our life because we have a hope. Hope coming where we understand each other and the hope coming where we understand God for our life. I think Jesus knocking uh, doors of the hearts of people. And he asked for anyone to open for him, 
to start the new Christmas with him. Easter is the principle of peace. Yes, Easter is the, is the principle of peace. In light of what's going on in the world today, especially in the Middle East, this is particularly poignant. Bethlehem now sits in what's called the West Bank in Israel. And obviously with the recent terror that has happened, um, it does make us think, makes us consider the importance of what Jesus came to do. And I love that one of the people that were interviewed that said, when we receive Jesus, he starts a new Christmas with us. I think that's my new favorite phrase. <laughs> if we really consider the events of that first Christmas, then we find that it challenges us to ask some questions. What narrative are we listening to today? The headline of political policies or the quiet ancient prophecy? Christmas reminds us to, to not judge by outward appearances. Bethlehem is small and overlooked, but she's important. The new king would be born that night. This king from the line of mighty David in this little city. In the story of Jesus, we also learn that this king is born in a feeding trough. He's born in an animal stall because there's no place for him. In a hospitable Middle Eastern culture, there's always room, let alone for a mom of nine months pregnant. The inn, as we often call it, was most likely Joseph's family home that they had traveled back to. The town's anywhere from 300 to 1,000 people in size. The census would gather the whole family together, and they would all stay in the family house. This family is in the line of David, a respectable family with noble roots. One likely interpretation of there is no room in the inn is that Joseph's family was ashamed of his then-pregnant wife. This baby conceived before they were married would be shameful, this may be why the king, the Messiah, would be born in a manger. <clears throat> what headline are we paying attention to? The story calls us to look beyond the obvious and to find God working in the shadows, often unnoticed, overlooked. God's okay with that. In fact, it's often how God likes to work. The Christmas story does ask us and cause us to pause and consider what type of people would God choose to work through? Well, the answer is everybody. But we often so miss him at work because he doesn't line up with our expectations. Would God work through an uneducated person? Through a younger person? Through an older person? Would he work through you? Through me? Could God possibly do that? What about the little teenage kid scraping weeds on the side of the road? The quietness and the social shame that led us to a baby being born in a stable is a reminder to us today to not simply lay down our expectations, but to expand them. And as we read on, we see one more example that God often appears where we least expect and to whom we least expect. 
the shepherds. If you have your thumb still in Luke 2, we'll pick up the story. Verses 8 through 16. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Now during this time period, Shepherds were some of the most lowly characters. They're often nobodies, often living in the margins of society. But God loves shepherds, these caretakers watching over helpless animals. Every day, every night, tending, making sure the sheep are cared for. It's detailed work. You have to be attentive to the needs of the animal. Funny, isn't it? But God actually visited a shepherd in this city once before. Who else was a shepherd in Bethlehem? A guy named David. When Samuel the priest came to anoint David as king, he almost missed him for his older and better looking brothers. They were more qualified, weren't they? God had to tell Samuel directly. He says, do not look upon his appearance or on the height of his stature, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. Instead of the powerful, older-looking brother, God directed Samuel's gaze to little David, out tending the sheep. David the shepherd. David would use his experience as a shepherd to not only defend Israel, but to care for it. The humble beginnings as a shepherd prepared him for what? It would be like to be Israel's greatest king. God loves shepherds, out-of-the-way characters who care for others, who care for his creation. Look back at the prophecy again from Micah. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Born in Bethlehem in a place that's way out of the way, a humble place, God calls the greatest king who will be known as what? A shepherd. And so it's fitting when God is born that the first ones told are shepherds. Not the rulers or the politicians, not the bankers or the CEOs. Nope, it's the guys out working the field who get the news. The host of angels comes to the humble group of shepherds. The most glorious of characters appear, heavenly beings saying, glory to God in the highest. Not only is shepherds uh, kind of a humble, marginal kind of position, but especially shepherds on the night watch. This is a humble moment 
in obscurity in an out-of-the-way town with out-of-the-way people, and it is filled, filled with the highest glory. If God would show up to them, he'll certainly show up for anyone. You may be changing a diaper for the hundredth time. You may be working the graveyard in a tough job. God sees you. He loves you. He cares about you. And so we're reminded today to not judge Christmas by how it looks. And certainly, certainly, how our culture presents it today. It's come a long ways, hasn't it, from that first day in Bethlehem. Not all is as it seems. I, was, I had to chuckle. I have to chuckle often in our neighborhood, all the Christmas decorations that go up, and it's this kind of weird mashup, right? It's like Mary and the baby and a juggling snowman. It's actually from a neighbor of mine's yard, right? We can get lost in the cultural moments that we live in, but Christmas is a deeply subversive story about a young family navigating political policies and family shame. It's about workers on the edge of society in overlooked towns and places. And Christmas also happens to be the story of how the world would forever be changed and how we would forever be saved. This Christmas, the invitation for us is to scratch beneath the surface of the headlines to pay attention to God's story and what he's doing, to see glory in humility. God loves to work in the margins with those who have been overlooked. The Christmas story calls us not to get drawn into the hype. The story instead calls us to remember that God works with out-of-the-way people in out-of-the-way places. So if today you feel that something is missing Something you're waiting for and you just don't know what it is, then my hope is that you would get to know the same God who spoke to the shepherd, the same God who wants to speak to you. Don't let the narratives of politics, consumerism, and identity overshadow the true story of Jesus and the life changing grace that he brings. We say grace a lot in Christian culture, but what is grace? It's favor that we get that we didn't earn. There's nothing we could do to deserve it, and it's given to us. And we see that favor in Joseph and Mary, in the shepherds, in this little town of Bethlehem. And this is the same grace that God makes available to you through Jesus. So let's remember that in this season. As we sing this last song, as the worship team comes back up, I want us to take a moment to reflect on what we might be waiting for. What is the longing in our heart? What is the thing that we hope will save us or give us security or identity? I want us to realize that those things may point to something good, but they ultimately will not fulfill their promise. What fulfills that desire in us is Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reminder today. We thank you for the truth of this story that is so easily clouded out in our celebrations and our cultural moments that we live in. 
But I pray, Father, today that we would see it in a new way, in a new light. And Lord, those of us that are waiting, that we would find what we're waiting for in you. Jesus, Son of God, the shepherd of our souls. Would we receive that in you today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.